Welcome to the Relaxed Dog Podcast. The podcast where the dogs are the stars of the show. Welcome to the Relaxed Dog Podcast, sponsored by The Relaxed Dog. Thank you for listening. I am your host, Robert Ober, and I hope that you and your dog are well. Our guest in episode 21 this week is Katrina Marion, all the way from a remote farm somewhere in Queen, outback Queensland. And she is going to be sharing a bit about her dog, Fergus. But first, on to some doggy news. And a gentleman by the name of Rudy Armstrong, who is an 86-year-old Navy veteran, was living in on his houseboat with his chihuahua, Boo Boo, in Northern Carolina in the US. And unfortunately, Rudy didn't know it but he was sitting on the deck one day and suffered a stroke i couldn't really help himself boo boo jumped into action ran down the dock and got someone i think it was the dock master uh got their attention got them to follow him back and needless to say the Dockmaster called for the paramedics and Rudy is now recovering well, thanks to Boo Boo. The next item of doggy news is an interesting spin on a bit of marketing. A uh, company by the name of Bush has created a dog brew, which is apparently sold in a beer-like can. Um, It doesn't have any alcohol or hops in it, which we know is not the best for dogs, but it is full of vegetables, herbs, spices, water and pork broth. And uh, you can only get it online and apparently they sold out of their first run. So you can crack a cold one with your best friend. Last little bit of news is just a bit of a, a warning. In a place called Ryle in Wales, an uh, overexcited young dog on the beach chased after some seagulls. The seagulls flew out to sea and the unidentified doggy kept swimming after them. The lifeboat crew were alerted and they caught up with the pup about half a mile from the shore. Rescued doggy and dog and owner are going well, but I don't think he's going to be let off for chasing the seagulls too much anymore. Onward now with this Welcome week's to the Relaxed interview. Dog, and it is my pleasure. Welcome to The Relaxed Dog, and it is my pleasure to introduce Katrina, and we're going to be talking about her dog, 
Fergus. So, as per usual, I ask everyone to take us back to just before you got Fergus and tell us how you guys got connected. Um, I bred Fergus, so I owned his mother, Lacey. She was a little blue stumpy tail cattle dog bitch, a purebred bitch. And I came across his father by super good fortune. Well, it was a terrible story with how I ended up with him, but he was, um, I was lucky. I was driving down a street and saw a dog, a magnificent red stumpy dog, and asked the lady about him. And her husband had died and unexpectedly, and she had this dog that was just way too much for town, and he wouldn't stay in the yard, and he was a horrible handful for us. So I took him home, and he was a great dog for me. And to let everyone know, home for you is a little bit different than most other people. Yeah, so I live in um, central Queensland, so he was able to, you know, come home and be intrinsically fulfilled. He was able to work cattle and, you know, have the life he was designed to, which is, you know, why he was unfulfilled in in town. He just wasn't the life for him. So roughly how old when you got him? How old was Bungie? So that was... um. Fergus's dad. Oh, Fergus's dad, yep, sorry. Yep, so he was um, maybe five or six when I got him. So he'd, um, he was probably um, a dog that wasn't um, going to be much longer for this world when I just pulled, I just admired the dog and pulled up to say, what, a, what an amazing looking dog, because, as dog people do. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> just to tell this lady, I thought her dog was just magnificent and she, um, Kind of handed him over. <laughs> yeah, not usually as you do. <laughs> not usually as you do. And normally you don't go, ah, yeah, so she's, she was just a lovely lady who was, you know, left with a dog that and had moved to town and just he was the wrong dog for that situation. But, and that's how it goes. Um, And I bred those two working dogs together and got a litter of little blue pups. And Fergus was one of them. And did Fergus sort of stand out in the in the litter? He was a horrible dog right from the start. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> he was, I mean, he was growly and he was he was unfriendly. My, my dogs are, you know, any dogs I breed are socialised really well with my kids. I've got five kids, so and my oldest is nineteen now, so they're um. You know, I've had puppy socialisers for a very long time. And um, my oldest daughter was really young then. She was only 18 months old, I think. And Fergus was, you know, socialised with her and some other kids and loved kids. But when he was six weeks old, the vet picked him up and he bit the vet on the face. Oh. So he's, um, <laughs> and hard, probably bit him too, so... He's never. He was never any different throughout his whole life. Did he get a hard time from his litter mates? Um, no, he was just one of the gang with them. He was never dog aggressive. Okay. Ever he oh, he'd start a fight he couldn't possibly win, but he'd never fight with small dogs or you know little dogs come and try and pick him and stand over him, and he'd think it was a wonderful time. But um, no, he was just a. Just a horrible little dog that hated people from 
from the time his eyes opened, I think. <laughs> and how did he sort of adapt? So did you keep many of the other Linda mates? No, I only kept him. So why the did you keep the me. worst probably, one from, um, from your point of view? Sorry, so he, he probably wasn't the worst one for me. <laughs> he probably, um, I mean, when we look at the function of of stumpy tail catalogs and catalogs, a lot of that is to be quite protective. And I live in a situation where dogs can be like that, so he wouldn't be. You know, he certainly wouldn't have been suitable for a town home, and he probably wasn't suitable for a lot of homes, but. He, he was quite biddable at the same time as being, you know, looking for opportunities to bite people. So he was a <laughs> challenging dog. And he um, took to took to working early on. He was a an excellent stock dog. I could, I could, and I did tail wieners and work cattle through the yards with him by myself. Like he was, um, he was a very capable dog that took the place of, you know, a couple of people. And um, unusually for for a cattle dog, I mean, some of my lines did carry it a little. Back then, he had a lot of casts, so you could cast him out around cattle and he'd block a lead and work a lead by himself. And it was just a, which, you know, work in that border collie style mm-hmm. of, you know, being able to go up the front. But he was, um, yeah, he was a very, very capable dog. He turned into a very capable dog in that aspect. He, um, I competed in canine pro sports with him, which is um a protection dog sport. Okay, at what sort of age did you start doing that with him? That was in two thousand six. So he would have only been a couple. He was only a couple of years old, and he um placed third in his division. So he, you know, he was quite credible in that field. I also did a couple other things with him because he, he loved children so much. I did a program, a trial program with a Western Queensland school where children who were having trouble reading would read to a dog. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got to, it had to do with the uh, fact as adults when children read to us, we constantly correct them for someone. It also doesn't give kids a chance to correct their own mistakes, and, and I'm sure when they when they hear their own voice out loud, they know they've made a mistake and they go back and fix it. Yeah, no, that's a, a fantastic program. I've heard a bit about it, and the um, the I can't remember what the percentage was, but for the kids to actually improve, it was one of the more successful methods that the teachers found, and they were like, "Whoa, hang on, all we've got to do is get them to." to talk, to, to read to a dog, and it was a fantastic feedback for him. Yep, get a dog to sit, stay, and make soft eye contact, and you're on a winner. And um, he would sit and stay and look at kids, you know, all day. That was probably the, you know, it was super rewarding for him to do that, and it was rewarding for me to watch it because you just got to sit across, across, you know, sit so that you can still, still supervise, but read your own book you're not really part of it and let it go and it was it's really good to watch that kind of organic growth of the kids and (laughs) any incidents with the teachers (laughs) no no he's um, like he was really biddable but he'd eyeball people like he'd let them know that 
he had a lot of presents and he'd let them know that that was uncomfortably close for him, but he was never risky with kids and said he was, he was biddable. You could stop him biting people. Mm-hmm. So just uh, going back on, you touched on doing the protection sports. So there's probably not a lot of that breed doing those type things. Absolutely not. And, you know, I guess for good reason. He probably didn't have the best temperament to do it. You know, like his sport, like if I was looking for a sport dog, I certainly wouldn't choose a stumpy tail catalogue in that. In that venue, but, mm. but I'm, um, I'm guessing he enjoyed the engaging with the decoys part. He loved that part, and he was um said he was quite controllable. So you know those two factors together made it, you know, a good a good outlet for him. You know something else a bit fun for him today. Ah, excellent. So on the on the farm, how does he work? Sort of uh, with a team, or is he more of a, an individual? Like when he was doing working for the herding? Um, he'd work by himself a lot. And not because he didn't work well with other dogs, just because he was handy enough that you didn't have to have a whole lot of dogs with you. And he would work well. He he was such a versatile little dog. He kind of um and unusually enough, today on my Facebook memories, a picture of him came up. <laughs> and I went, How how serendipitous is that? Like it's telling me something, but you forget how sometimes you forget, you know, the the usefulness of having having a friend for so long that was by your side for all those years. You know, when you initially lose them, you go through that terrible grief and mourning period. But you know, just he came with me to work every week. He came with me everywhere. He was um just such a part until he's until he's till age got the better of him. It was such a part of my life and, and you tend to forget that as you you know, as you get older too, after they've gone. Yes, it's it's one of those sort of like you it's sort of forgotten. You, you do, I, I like to think you don't sort of think consciously think of them that much, but it, it, they're always there though. Yeah, you've got the memory of them and like, I think about him all the time, but it's that I think about him not not just that, you know, not just how useful he was as a, as a, as a, I mean, as a tool, as a working animal, I guess. I think of all the cool parts about him, you know, like how he, um, how he'd like, he'd be so snuggly and so horrid at the same time. <laughs> um, so when you say snuggly, because uh, a lot of um, people have the idea that, uh, on the farm, the working dogs, up, they're outside, they sleep outside, they don't come in inside and they, they're, they're, not, uh, they're not a snuggly on the lounge type thing. But um, He was a snuggly on the four-wheeler dog or, you know, if you're sitting down after work, he'd come and, um, you know, he'd come and sit between your legs, you know, snuggle between your legs or he'd, you know, sit on your lap and put his head under your arm and he was... um. You know, you couldn't have dragged him inside. He certainly wasn't a house dog, and if he did, he would have pissed on everything. Home. But <laughs> he was, um, you know, just because working dogs live outside doesn't mean there's not that huge connection. Uh, definitely. And, and on average, how many other dogs were around at the time through Fergus's life on the on the farm? Oh, I probably had 
15 or 20 other dogs. Mm-hmm. So there'd be, you know, all different types of working dogs and stuff come through. So he's, um, he said he was great with other dogs. You could pair him with pups or bitches. He pair him with adult dogs. He never had, I've seen him, never seen him, um, never seen him start a fight with anything he could possibly win. <laughs> so yeah, have any special relationships with any any of them at, during the time? Yeah, absolutely. Like I've, I've yeah, I had um during his life, I had a couple. I've had a, a whole heap of dogs that I'm really close with, but I'd have a couple. Like he had a different role because he, you know, he was more of all my working catalogs at the time. He was probably my favourite, and I shouldn't have favourites, but he was probably my dear old boy. But I had a couple of band dogs at the time that were, you know, went on to do good things with and were very close to me. I had an old hunting dog that was elderly when Fergus was around, who um, I think I still cry about now. (laughs) He's been gone for 10 years, maybe more. Mm. So, you know, you just... Yeah, you do get close to lots of – I'd get close to lots of them, I guess. I think it doesn't matter whether you have one dog or ten of them. They all still find a place in your heart. Oh, absolutely. More so than most people. <laughs> yeah. I think I've probably um, let go of people a bit quicker than – a bit quicker and easier than I've let go of some dogs. Mm-hmm. So on the farm, what were some sort of uh, – adventures that you can sort of recall that he behaved majority of the time um no <laughs> he, um, <laughs> he was my dad lived with us and my dad was terrified of him but like, right up until the day my dad died <laughs> He's, um, and fergus would like, encourage that behavior and and my dad fed him for four and a half years every day and still couldn't win him over he was um he'd like rush up behind him and put his nose on the back of his leg. Mm-hmm. He put his nose on the back of on the back of his leg. So just to scare him, like just because it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> he'd, um, he'd spend ages like sneaking around and stalking and, you know, getting himself in position. He, he never bit him. He just thought it was amusing to scare people. <laughs> so it's only your dad or did you do it to other people as well? No, he'd bite other people. He was um you had to be real I had to be really careful of him because he understood he wasn't allowed to bite, so he'd put himself in a position where a bite would be justifiable. And he discovered that the best way to do that was to cock his leg on people. That there was someone he hated really hated a friend of mine's husband was getting some stuff out of the back of the ute. And I'd said, like, Fergus, you know, pull your head in. So he was just sitting there. You could see the steam coming out of his ears, but he knew he wasn't allowed to bite, so he certainly wouldn't. And he cocked his leg on the side of this fellow's head. And before he laid back to swing at my dog and Berg bit him and went, nah, no, no one hits me, mate. <laughs> so from then he discovered he's, he probably – weed on way more people than he ever bit but he did it with the intention that if they kicked out at him he could bite them (laughs) he was like truly 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 he was a horrible dog like 
he would have had such a short lifespan had he lived anywhere else. But he lived to um he lived to make old bones with me. I thought it was I used to think it was hilarious. Oh, I like the yeah, like the strategy. There's there's thought behind there. <laughs> yeah, he was he was a long term thinker. We used to reckon, and um, you know, killed killed plenty of snakes and used to kill brown snakes. That was one of his favourite hobbies. Oh, that's a hobby you could probably do without, but for you guys. It's so terrifying. Like he'd, he'd come back with a brown snake and I'd be going, oh, he's bitten, he's going to die. Like, do I make the rush to the vets or, you know, will he survive the trip? And he never got, never ever got tagged. Well, never got tagged that he was, um, you know, that he was envenomated anyway. It would, you know, that he was, um, you know, bitten and got sick from. But I reckon he nearly stopped my heart a hundred times from it. He'd be proudly dragging a snake around and oh, look what I got you. Look what I prepared for you. <laughs> I think I just saw not that long ago was a, a clip of uh, a snake in someone's yard and there was three or four uh, big dogs just standing around barking at it and this little terrier just went charging through, straight past the dogs, ripped into the snake, Shook it, killed it, walked off. <laughs> and that's what he used to do. I mean, he did it right up until the last year or two of his life. He never, I think when he, he knew, must have known he was a bit slow for it and, you know, never worried about it. But, um, yeah, he was, I guess, looking at him, looking back now, I'm thinking, you know, imagine trying to manage a dog like that when you lived in town and then there was people coming by all the time. It would just be horrendous. Mm. <laughs> Thankfully, I live where I live. Uh, definitely, definitely a, a farm dog. Absolutely, and and had to be managed as a farm dog. Um, he, yeah, I, I did have him evaluated and put on the appendix register, so he was shown one. In confirmation shows. Oh, okay. He was shown once and evaluated at a, at a show. So he was um he was quite biddable. Like someone was able to handle his mouth and you know, I don't say he enjoyed the experience, but he was um he was quite that biddable. So did you when you say enjoyed the experience, was he one to enjoy a bit of bit of pampering, bit of washing, or just like nah, nah. I used to puff him up and um. I've got a, you know, a hydro bath and a force dryer, so I'd um, I used to wash him and puff him up, like fluff his hair up and make him a little princess a bit. But he loved it. <laughs> and, um, he just didn't love other people, if unless they were small humans, and he loved all small humans. He just didn't like other people. Mm-hmm. He had just no time for their presence. Um. I posted the picture of him. I've shared the picture of him on Facebook today and people on my friends list were remembering him with horror. So I went, oh, you <laughs> made a mark years after he's gone. Guessing it's for more just than more than that one reason. He sounds like an awesome dog. Yeah, he was awesome. He like yeah, he was he was really an awesome dog. He was tough. And, you know, he'd been kicked by cattle and run over them and had all the had all the tough experiences that cattle dogs get when they work and he never backed down from anything. He never, 
would never let you down when you needed him most. I um, I rolled a bike on myself tailing cattle out once and with him, and he um, still held cattle up. You know, he was there for hours by himself, and you know, never never let anything go. Never never deserted his post. Can you share a little bit more about that? Um, so Fergus and I were tailing out cat, tailing out young cattle. So it involves um, getting cattle used to being handled and getting them used to you know the pressure that a dog puts on and how to calm down and and not be frightened of dogs. Mm-hmm. So we'd let some cattle out, you know, we'd let these wieners out. I was on a little four wheeler and um, I flipped it over. You know, I was hit a gully that I didn't see and flipped it. And um, the cattle were, like Fergus blocked the cattle up and held them there. And I had to go and, I was a bit injured and had to go and go and get another bike to come back to him to get him with. And I thought the cattle would have been gone. You know, I thought he would have gone and had better dog things to do than hold cattle there for hours. I came back down and he'd still had them held up. He still was um stopping them from going forward at the last point we were at. Wow. Which is a big effort for a little dog. That's some yeah, serious commitment there. Yeah, and you know, he was he was tough and dependable and I guess that's probably my um my greatest memories of him is just how tough and dependable he, he actually was. He um on another occasion he started a fight with two big dogs that probably were each twenty kilos or more have bigger than him, like he was just an average size dumpy tail cattle dog, but he picked on two big dogs and and I thought he was dead. Like I went, there's no way. I yelled at them and they let him go and I thought, obviously he's dead. There's no possible way he could survive that. And I locked one of them up and checked him for injuries and the other he's then I went back went back over to where they were and poor Ferg's trying to fight this other dog. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, leave them alone. And the dog's trying to get away from him and going, we're not interested in fighting anymore. He still wasn't over it. And um, it was the only fight he ever got in. And he was, it was hours before I was due to fly out to the States. And he was, um, he was fairly, it was only skin, skin rip, but it was quite bad. And I rang the vets and, they agreed. I had to ketamine him to take him to the vet. So coming, ketamine him in the car park, and um, we took him in. They stitched him up, and I had to get my nephew, who was six at the time, to um look after him while I was away. He just wasn't easily able to be handled by anyone else. I was going, oh, I don't know if someone's telling me not to go or should I stay and look after my dog? What do you do? But he was fine. He held up really well. And uh, a six-year-old on a farm is uh a lot more grown up than a six-year-old in the city. I guess, but they do kind of have to be, though. So, <laughs> yeah, it's um, I yeah, I think my um, my twins are eight now, and they can um, you know, they've been able to drive for years. So, I guess you kind of get quite capable when you when you're little and you grow up like that. How was Fergus when he was a pup around herding the cattle? Um, I don't start them as babies. I like give them a little bit of time to mature before I start them. Mm-hmm. So as a pup, he just kind of came along and learnt the rules. You know, learned to ride on the back of a bike and 
ride in the back of a car and how to get on with other dogs and how to be cool around kids and yeah, all the little all the other little things he needed to learn before he he was very cute as a pup. But he learned all the other things that he needed to learn before he got into that into the place where he was gonna be working. Mm-hmm. And um at the time I didn't have the luxury of starting um dogs on sheep. So often catalogues are started on sheep just to give them, you know, it's not as intimidating or scary and gives them a little bit more, um, it gives you a little bit more control over them and you can teach the pups, um, you can teach them much more easily. You know, it gives them, um, I guess gives them that better insight into what the job's going to be like uh-huh. rather than be thrown in the deep end to start with. I don't think you would have seen cattle till he was eight months old. They just got to be a dog. <laughs> got to be my mate who came with me. Nice. Do you have any any uh, favourite spots on the farm that he'd sort of like like more than others? Um, he liked to pretend he was a crocodile, and he would hop in water at any given opportunity. And um, lay in wait with just his nose and his eyes and his ears sticking out of the water. <laughs> <laughs> Wait for someone or something to come past and jump out and make a game of it. <laughs> I was going to ask if you had any weird habits, but that, that, well, that that's <laughs> more than that. <laughs> besides, um, and besides the fact that I don't really think I heard him bark in his entire lifetime. Besides the fact that he didn't bark, it um, and was it? Silent, like not. I've had dogs that don't bark, but they're vocal in other ways. Mm-hmm. He was not vocal in any shape or form. He was, um, but he was super expressive. He had super facial expressions. Say, so he was, um, when he was happy, you could look at him and tell he was happy. When he was content or tired, you could tell he was either of those. And when he was, um, angry, you could tell. Just point his little eyes and narrow them into little slits and stare at people and follow their every movement. And he was, um, I guess he expressed himself in, in a different way. Okay. And so, what other sort of weird habits from did you say he had? <laughs> he would, um, he would find in his kennel, he had, um, I had kennels at the time, my kennels were, um, Raised, raised working dog kennel, so they're raised up um, a metre off the ground and, you know, so there's no fleas or ticks and no snakes can get in there and things like that. And he'd find a weak point. And I had good, sturdy kennels. He was the only dog that ever got out of them because he'd find a weak point and work it for months and months and months just to get out. <laughs> so it's a bit of a Houdini. And not do anything, like not, he never did anything wrong. Well, so long as there was no one around, he never did anything wrong when he was out. He never like killed chickens or, you know, chased the cat or did any of those kind of things. Just to prove a point. Just to prove a point. He was, and I guess that's what made him such a challenging dog to own. You know, he was, um, he was a dog you could just never take lightly because he'd try and I used to think that he used to sit there and try and outthink me. <laughs> and um, he used to be like he'd understand. And, and in training, it was, it was, um, 
heaps of fun and he taught me so much but he'd um you could give him the parameters and he'd try and find his give him the parameters of behavior like you know when we're in the house yard we can't chase the cat and he'd go but does that apply here and, and does that apply here does that apply to all cats or you know and he'd test the boundaries all the time and you could tell that he was um he wasn't being disobedient. He just understood that picture and didn't know if it applied anywhere else. So I always used to reckon I could never be offended by a dog that was more intelligent than me. It's just um, I just had to work harder than him. <laughs> just to make that or all the different variations. Yes, you can't do it here, 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 or here. <laughs> like you can't bite on people. You can't bite people, but. Not allowed to, buddy, but if they hit you, you could possibly bite someone. Oh, yeah, well, I'm going to make people hit me so I can bite them. Like, that's the kind of stuff you – or I'll um, – I'm not, you're not allowed out of your kennel, but, you know, if you're going to um, if you're going to work the side of it for the next six months and loosen up a screw so you can push your way out through the tin, well, yeah, we'll work on that. <laughs> So, how was he health-wise? He's well. I just sexed him. He was maybe seven when I just sexed him because um, that probably was the only downfall of him. He used to um, he would try and breed any bitch that existed. <laughs> so um, it was way easier to just sex him to, you know, not have any unwanted litters from him. Um. And I, I did breed one litter from him, and I, I gave my best friend, his son, who had the exact same temperament as him, and his name was Brian. But um, I just expert, and he um, he, which was an experience all in itself to um, take him into the vet because they knew after stitching him up and got him from a pup, they um, you know, everyone's kind of reluctant to handle him, so we um knocked him out in the car park, muzzled him and I took him in and I picked him up as soon as they finished so that he was, um, you know, and was there with him while he recovered. So he didn't do anything silly. Mm-hmm. And um, besides that, the only other time he ever went to the vet was um, when I got him put to sleep. So he survived all those years and, you know, he got old in the last couple and was slowing down more and more and, you know, the I used to pretend that we'd do, you know, I'd have some wieners in the yards and get him to work around the yards with me. But, you know, he was he was a bit old to keep working the way he always had. Mm-hmm. So do you notice much difference when he came home after being desexed in his mannerisms? It didn't change him at all. He'd just not bitches but not get them in part. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> he was, um, I said he was a horrible dog, like. It was um, the only the only beauty of it was there was no no babies for him, so it didn't change his behaviour whatsoever. Just as strong willed and determined. Strong willed, yeah. It wasn't testosterone that caused his problems. What about um, different games and things like that? Do you have a favourite? Um, back then, I probably I probably didn't understand. There's two things in Fergus's time. There's a couple of things that I didn't do that I wished, you know, I've recently in the last few years become better at, at those things. And one of them is playing with dogs. Mm-hmm. 
the other is um, using food to train. I never used food to train because I guess when I started my training journey, that was a horrendous thing that only sissy people did. But now it's such an integral part of my training that I um, can't believe I wasn't doing it before. And the same with play. Fergus would play. Like we'd have games where he'd, um, you know, where we'd, I'd be working along and he'd, um, you know, bring a stick over to me or, you know, mucking around trying to trip me over and fun things that he did. But um, I didn't play with him. Like he didn't have a favourite toy or he'd, you know, he'd chase a Kong and chase a stick, but he, you know, only every now and then it wasn't, he wasn't um, obsessed by it or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wish now that I had those, you know, I I guess in our journey as, as a trainer and a dog owner, we should aim to, you know, improve ourselves and improve our relationships all the time. And, uh, yeah, but you, you only know what you know and until you know better. That's right. But, you know, if we're not trying to improve our relationships with animals, then, we're really um, doing ourselves such a disservice. So. I can't remember who originally said that. I think a few people sort of say that, and I'm a, I'm a firm believer in that. Absolutely. And I think it's our, well, it's our role to, you know, seek out new information and see how we can integrate it to, you know, improve the lives of everyone around us, people too, but especially our relationship with animals. Absolutely. I do live with some regret that I didn't, um, yeah, he was trained in quite a compulsive way, which was, um, which was the way at the time, but it certainly didn't distinguish, it didn't extinguish his spirit. Mm. I'm going to ask a question that I ask everybody, and that's, yeah. I can't, for you complete the sentence, I can't believe my dog ate... And it's going to be, I suppose, maybe different because I'm also going to ask um, with his diet, being a farm and a working dog, it's going to be different to, I think, a lot of other dogs' normal diets. Yeah. I can't believe my dog used to eat loosened pellets for fun. Loosened pellets. Okay. <laughs> a horrible thing to eat. Um, <laughs> but, um, besides that, I feed... Um, Probably different. I, I feed lots of raw, lots of opportunistic raw. And um, back then I probably fed, I would have fed back then, just a working dog food I would have fed, whatever. Some, and until recently, there's been some, di- until I started buying pallet buyers of food, there was some difficulty with getting consistently good quality food. Mm-hmm. So, um, Pallet boys of Royal Cannons, where it's at. Um, about the only way to maintain good, good quality dry food for, for me, anyway. So, did you travel much with Fergus? Yeah, he travelled. I travel. Well, just today I've been to. You know, today, before I got here, I've driven from Charleville today, which is seven, six or seven hundred kilometres from here. And um, next weekend, the kids and I will go to Brisbane and we'll take out, they'll take their little dogs. And then the next weekend, we go north of Townsville, which is another you know, 20 hours next weekend. And whatever it is, 15 hours, 16 hours the weekend after. So we travel lots. And um, 
our dogs tend to come with it with us a lot. So Fergus did hundreds of thousands of kilometres in his lifetime. Most of it was sitting in the front seat. So yeah. <laughs> He had a spot on the back on the on the driver's side where I used to tie him up. He didn't didn't enjoy being in the in the cage on the back, but I used to he used to be tied up just behind the driver's side. So you know he was the first one first one there when you got out. That's why he liked that spot. Mm-hmm. He had the number one spot. <laughs> or, <laughs> if he wasn't there, he was beside me on the seat or in the back beside a car seat. So he um he he was small enough that he could hop in the front of the car and shed his horrible white hair everywhere and you know, lick food from baby's hands and generally just be a dog. <laughs> nice. Do you have any favourite places that you went to apart from being on the farm? Um, we've had we've had a couple of properties in his time, but um, at Middlemount, we, I lived at Middlemount. I worked at Middlemount. I worked in mining and I used to um, – have a have a set of kennels on you know on a property next to where I was working and or next to the town and used to um take my dogs to work with me every week. So he was um he was part of that time in my life. So I spent um a lot of twelve and a half hour shifts at work and come back to a mining camp which isn't exactly a not a real fun place if you're um well there wasn't as many women in the industry as there is now so it's pretty lonely and pretty quiet so mm-hmm. um i get ferg and get a couple other dogs and we go and look for a pig at night time or just go and go walking around in the bush go and have a look for things so i kind of um spent a lot of time with him when when i was in that stage of my life he was an older dog then but he wasn't he hadn't hit that old age mark yet, so he was super reliable. You know, he was he was my best mate. So we could just spend a lot of time in the bush together, and a lot of time wandering around, you know, just looking at things. I guess so. That was um, I think people call it bushwalking. Ah, uh, nice. Do you, do you enjoy the uh, the hunting? Yeah, he was um, yeah, he didn't want it. He didn't want anything that got him out and. Got him doing things. He he wasn't he wasn't proficient, super proficient. I wouldn't have hunted him by himself. But um, I think he just liked to do things, and I guess that's I guess that's the same for all dogs, isn't it? You know, it's not what we do with them; it's the adventure of doing something. Absolutely, getting them uh, to fulfil their lives the way that that they want to fulfil them. And I used to, I tell my kids, well, I tell it to my kids a fair bit. Um, some people have a magical skill where even going out and going to the shops or going and feeding the chooks or, you know, doing fairly routine tasks can, can become an adventure. And that's something, not just with my kids that I try and make it. So we go on adventures, we call them adventures and we go on adventures all the time. Like they're not really exciting things in the in the scheme of life, but. You can make him make everything you do fun and fulfilling. So it's a good strategy that I try and adopt with my dogs. We might be might not be doing anything that's actually useful. We might not be doing formal training, 
but we're going to make it as fulfilling and fun as we can. No, I think you've you've na- you've nailed that there, and it's and it's it's what you make of it. That's right. You know, when you go on for a walk, and Ferg only lived with me, like I spent a couple of you know times briefly in town, and Fergie comes to town. It's not really rewarding for him to you know walk along on a lead or do any of those type of things, but make it fun, you know. Go and chase um. Go and let him chase bugs around in the in the long grass, and you know, as you walk along, like it didn't have to all be formal and rigid. We could, you know, let it be organic and fun. I was going to say there probably wouldn't have been much time where he would have been on the lead. Would that be right? No, no, and I don't. I'd have dogs now. I mean, now I try and make sure at least when they're pups, I start them on lead so that I've got that I've got that skill built in for later on, but. I wouldn't. My leads are carefully kept in a in a storage unit on my veranda, and unless we're travelling, they don't get come out. You know, we've got a little travel bag of of dog leads and you know collars and stuff that we take with us everywhere. But you know, they don't. They wouldn't have a lead clipped on them from week to week. It doesn't mean fun things for them. You know, it's not as it's not as much fun for a dog who's who's used to being able to, you know, run freely and make all his own decisions, for good or bad, when he's out with you, to have that control of walking on lead and, you know, his movement's quite restricted. Even even though leads are as long as they are, it's still quite restricted and it's more challenging to make it fun for the dog. Oh, absolutely. And I, um, with our dog Marley, I always walk her on a, on a five-metre lead and yeah. wherever there's there's the space she can use the whole length whatever she wants to yeah. do and then I just sort of like grab it up if there's a need that she shouldn't have that, that space for whatever if there's a, a tight footpath or something like that that we need to go through Yeah and you know it's about that, it's about balancing that sense of freedom with safety you know you don't want to ever put your dogs in, an, in a situation where they're unsafe but you also want them to have that that experience and that feeling of freedom and being in control of their own destiny and decisions and, you know, their own tasks. So you know, it's hard to get the balance. I don't don't envy anyone who lives in town and has to, you know, try and find fulfilling jobs, especially for working breeds or dogs that have had, you know, dogs that are quite highly strung or nervous. It's, you know, it's a challenge. I'm glad I don't face. I'm sorry, everyone. Oh, I agree with that. So, is there any other sort of special moments that have sort of come to mind now with Fergus? I guess just I'm probably um probably Ferg with my kids was because in Fergus started when Fergus was born. I only had I only had Jamie, so there was only one small human for him to worry about. And by the time he was by the time he was an old dog, there was five of them, and he treated every single one of those kids as if they were the best thing that absolutely ever happened. And as the kids got older, as um, my, my eldest two daughters were teenagers when Fergus when Fergus left us, they were they were always his special humans, you know. Like he, there was plenty of other people he didn't like once they became older, but 
you know, the, the kids were always precious to him. And that's, I mean, he had a relationship with them, but like I said, he was a very difficult dog. So I never expected that from him. And I never expected, I never expected how much he would, like if he, if he, if there was an opportunity, he'd, and not just because small kids drop food, if there was an opportunity, he'd be with them and then grab him. And, you know, especially the twins when they were little, they'd, there was two two monsters together and <laughs> they'd pull themselves up with him and pull his ears and and he'd just think it was the best day ever. And that's a pretty big thing for a dog who was um, quite motivated to bite people and and a working dog. And yep. He was a working animal. Mm. I, you know, to have that reward system that that – he thinks that being traumatised by small children is, is a rewarding experience. was pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty special to me. Uh, I can see that, absolutely. There's um, a photo of him somewhere, and I don't know where they are. Joy, my, my, middle, my middle boy, he was... Um, Joy's only a couple of maybe a week or so old, and Fergus is laying under the, under the bouncer. And um, you know, just his ears and his nose sticking out from underneath it, and you know, camped up under it, waiting, just waiting to see if anyone comes to pick the baby up. Like the baby's pretty safe. <laughs> oh, nice. He was a he was a very good boy. Yeah, a so horrible. You keep saying that, but it's it's not the picture I've I've got over this conversation. <laughs> No, I loved him dearly. Yeah. There's some dogs that you think, I think I had 15 years with Fergus and we're close to 15 years and it just wasn't enough. And that never is. Okay. And, you know, I guess we're all, you know, we're so fortunate to share our lives with them like that. Oh, absolutely. Well, thank you very very much for taking the time to have a chat with me and i'm really happy to have known just a little bit about fergus i'm I'm honored to be asked to share (laughs) thank you very much again enjoy the rest of your evening will do thank you thank you very much for listening i hope that you enjoy the show Remember, the best way not to miss any of the upcoming episodes is to subscribe. Until next week, stay safe and remember, your dog is family.